Hello and welcome to Word for the Day. This is Father Pete Matthews from St. Patrick's Anglican Church in Lexington, Kentucky. And in today's Word for the Day, we continue our journey um, looking at uh, our series, looking at human sexuality. And by the way, I should have said this probably at least one podcast ago. Um, I'm beginning to deal with different categories of sexual sin, ways we violate God's created um, pattern for human sexuality. And uh, it might be stuff that if you have young children who listen in on this with you, you might not want them to to hear about this yet. They might not be ready for this. So just a caution um, that you might be aware of that, because we're going to talk about, might want to be aware of that. We're going to talk about continue coming out of adultery talking about different categories of sexual sin. And today I want to talk about fornication. So fornication in some ways is sort of the, the bigger category that adultery fits into. It's any sexual expression outside the context of um, a lifelong covenant marriage between a man and a woman. So this is the, the broader category of sex outside of marriage. And of course, uh, adultery would be part of that. But it's more than that. It can be uh, two two people in a dating relationship. It can be two people who, you know, have an encounter, sort of a you know a, a one one time encounter. It can be people who live together but have not entered into the covenant of marriage, and all those are called fornication. And the scriptures um, in both the Old and New Testament, in numerous places, um, say this practice violates. God's pattern, created pattern for human sexuality. So any kind of sex outside of marriage um, violates that. And as I mentioned in a, in a previous podcast about the sacramentality of sexuality in marriage, th- this really speaks to that. So um, so any kind of sexual behavior um, that is outside of marriage falls into the category of fornication. So I'm going to do um, one or maybe two specific episodes on homosexuality, but um, any kind of homosexual sexual behavior falls out of God's created pattern because it's not um, sex expressed between a man and a woman in the context of covenant marriage. So it's a species of fornication and can be a species of adultery if one of the persons in a covenant marriage practices with someone who they're obviously not married to. Um, so that, that's a little more of a complicated issue, especially in our culture, because we affirm that practice in our culture by law has affirmed that as a, a form of marriage. We'll talk about that a little bit and why that's not actually Christian marriage. Um, but I just want to say that, um, again, d- this, this category is important, not just because God has a rule and not just because God makes rules and wants to make our lives uh, a bummer. It's because he has a purpose for sexuality, and it's to bring two people together into one flesh and create the possibility of family life, which has a broader implication to the whole broader community of human life. And so sex isn't just a personal thing. It's not just a private act. It's not just something I do because I enjoy it, or I do just because I feel I feel love towards someone. Um, feeling love is a good thing. I think if you're married, that's something you got to cultivate. But marriage is rooted in vows and covenant and commitment, and it's the the stability and the um, the the groundedness of that lifelong covenant of two people vowing their lives to each other that creates the safe place for human sexuality to flourish. 
Now, it doesn't always flourish in marriage because marriages can have trouble and problems. But in God's ideal purpose, that's the space where it can flourish and fulfill its intended purpose, which is beyond just the enjoyment of the sexual act, which God created to enjoy, or beyond just the sort of the the, the feelings of closeness that people in maybe a dating or an engaged relationship are in. Um, so so that's kind of how that's wrong. Now, um, I, I used to be in campus ministry and minister to a lot of young people who weren't married and trying to really navigate um, their sexuality in the context of a, of a university setting in a place where people are pretty sexually active. And I would get questions from people like, okay, I, I know that, you know, intercourse is off limits, but what about other things you can do with someone? And so um, what I would often counsel people is I'd say, you know, you have to think about levels of intimacy. So, um, you know, is it okay to kiss? I mean, is it okay to go farther than that? I won't go into details on that, but we all have imaginations and we're all grownups who are listening. So we understand what I'm talking about. And, and I would say that, um, you know, you want to think about levels of intimacy. And so I think if, if a, a, a young man, a young woman are just beginning to date, um, you got to be careful how physical you are because you want to make sure you create the space and time to get to know each other spiritually, that you're first spiritually intimate. What I mean by that is that, you know, for example, I think it's just a point of wisdom and really discipleship that people who are should only date who are Christians should only date other Christians, because Scripture says we shouldn't be unequally yoked. You shouldn't be married to someone who's not a believer. Now, of course, there are people that along the way went ahead and got married to someone who's not a believer, and there's grace and forgiveness for that. And then sometimes people come to faith in a marriage, and the other person isn't married. There's grace in that, and God does not expect those marriages to end. He expects us to live those out as best we can, but. If we're on the side of marriage, we still have the choice, the faithful choice is to marry a fellow believer and have fellowship. That's a spiritual intimacy. Then we want to create space where we can get to know each other as persons. I'm going to call this sort of intellectual intimacy. Oh, it's kind of a clunky way to say it, but it gives me a, a, a hook to hang that on. And getting really physical at that stage can really inhibit that because what often happens is people get physical and the physical traction binds them together and it's kind of easy to let your emotions go to work and you begin to ignore maybe red flags relationally about who the people are and their character and their personality, whether you really can fit together. And I've seen this happen when people do that way too early, then trouble comes later in marriage because they didn't take the hard look at their potential spouse and decide, is this someone I can actually live a life with? Um, it's one thing to have a physical relation, be attracted to someone, but to be married is to live a life with someone. And it's really important that you can be good friends and you enjoy doing life together. You know, if you're completely opposite and hate, hate everything that your partner is interested in, that's just going to make it a lot harder to be married. You can still be married and still work through it. It makes it harder. So it's wise to hold that off. Then I think, you know, people decide to get married and they get engaged. And this really are bonding together emotionally. And I think, you know, it's natural. I think, you know, is it right or wrong to kiss? I mean, at those levels, I, you know, I'm not a legalist. And and I just think you have to have wisdom. I think one of the points of wisdom is, are, are you able to control your physicality so you don't go into places that are inappropriate? Now, I think other places kind of beyond kissing, which involve <clears throat> disrobing but not having intercourse, 
are really too far before you're married. I think that's part of the sexual act. It's kind of like doing part of it without doing the whole thing. I feel like I sound like a high school kid talking. I'm sorry, but it's important to be plain about these things. And so as I work with people, and and like if I'm doing premarital counseling, those are the kind of things I encourage. I say, you know, of course you're going to want to hug, you're going to want to snuggle, you're going to hold hands, you're going to want to kiss. That's so normal, and God built it. I think that can be really fine and good and healthy and wise. But you got to be, you just stay away from going further and, and save that for the wedding night. Um, because, you know, once I think you cross some other boundaries, it's pretty hard to not cross all the boundaries. Um, and so that's one thing. And then let me just say this as I close this episode, and I could go, again, these are short form podcasts, so I could go a lot deeper than this, but I want to say in all of this, if you have sexual sin as part of your past, and probably all of us do, um, that sin is fully on the cross like every other sin. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from that sin like it does every other sin. And forgiveness for that sin is full, absolute, and complete. And if you are in Jesus, you are clean and white and pure in him. And and we need to receive forgiveness for that. And we can step into places of, I think, full restoration and purity. I love in, in Jude where it says, to, God says to Israel, I'm going to not just... Um, I'm going to restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. So it's sort of talking about Israel in their past sin, and, lo- and locusts are like a metaphor of they came in and ate up a lot of Israel's life because they worshipped idols. And God said, I'm not just going to forgive you, I'm going to restore you. And God does that. So as we talk about sexual sin and different patterns, um, don't hear that as the law coming down hard on you. Hear this God's invitation into a well-lived life And at any point where we've fallen short of that, there's always grace. There's always forgiveness. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. God bless and have a great day.